the mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. However you have distressed yourself today with anxiety or self-judgment or criticism or frustration or disappointment or whatever your particular form of suffering is, the Buddha said it is caused by a force in the mind that has arisen just due to causes and conditions. It's not inherent. It's not who you are. It's not a kind of the way the mind is. It's just a visitor to the mind. Now, if we understood that, if we, or when we hear this from the Buddha, we could look at these forces in terms of the three tasks that we as yogis or as meditators uh, are required to do. So we might ask, what is the right view? How should we understand these defilements? Secondly, how, how can we be aware of them? How do we establish mindful awareness of them? And how do we endure or sustain awareness of them? Because as Sayadaw Utejaniya says, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. It's understanding correctly that removes the forces of suffering from the mind. And so to the degree that we can understand this, practice awareness of them and sustain the awareness whenever they arise, we will come to know the nature of these visiting forces. We'll come to know how they arise in the mind, how they cause us suffering, how to endure them or not act them out. And in or as a result, how to be free of the suffering that they cause. Now, some people have complained to me about the word defilement. It sounds so Old Testament, you know. It's like, mm, these defilements rise in the mind. <laughs> well, you know, the word kalesa in the Buddhist Pali language, you know, is sometimes translated as um, torment of the mind. And it's clear that, you know, when we're tormented, we suffer. When the mind is tormented, we suffer. But I like the word defilement because it really grabs your attention. It really, and it really does convey the flavor of how dangerous they are. Because, make no mistake about it, whatever suffering you experience is caused by defilement or one of these forces, a kalesa in the mind. Our path of practice 
is to come to see and understand this about them and to liberate the mind from being tormented by these visitors, these forces. So what is the right view of defilements? How should we understand these forces in the mind so that we can make use of that understanding to our benefit, meaning to suffer less. Just to be clear, these defilements are habitual, reactive, unskillful mental states that arise usually, habitually, quickly, seemingly spontaneously, often unconsciously, when conditions are ripe. Sometimes we act them out as unskillful behavior. Sometimes we just feel them as unpleasant emotion. Sometimes they kind of seep into the mind as a, a kind of a mood or a mental state that just kind of simmers in the background of everything we're doing that day. Sometimes they really shine themselves with, you know, a thought or uh, a big emotional storm. Sometimes we have wrong beliefs that are conditioned by these uh, defilements. And sometimes they're just very, very subtle, unexamined assumptions in the mind. And so the, the defilements arise in a variety of levels. The grossest level is when we act them out and we cause ourselves and others harm. You know, when we express our anger, when we act out our rage, or when we're just impatient and it, we grimace and others see that. It's important, or it may be helpful, to understand that the defilements are rooted in restlessness. And restlessness in this case is not physical agitation and restlessness. It is the kind of the incessant thinking activity of the mind, which I'm sure you've observed today, just goes on and on and on and on. And it is often not particularly useful, not particularly skillful. It's just that running commentary that's in the background of our life. It is the narrative, the story of our life, mostly. It is always, or all of the defilements, are always accompanied by ignorance or delusion. Now, ignorance is not knowing. And in order to know, we must practice awareness. To know correctly, we must practice awareness. Delusion is different. Delusion knows, but it knows wrongly. And so it's not mindfulness that needs to be aroused. It's understanding or insight understanding that needs to be aroused <laughs> to overcome and eventually uproot delusion.
the experience of delusion and ignorance sometimes takes the form of just denial, avoidance, um, being enchanted. You know, we, we, we imagine, we see someone or we see something we want, and it's as if it casts a spell over the mind. And the mind goes off on this narrative of like, oh, how nice it would be. And we're just lost in this fantasy land, enchanted by something that we desire. Or we see something that we don't like, or someone that we've had a difficult time with in the past. And again, we get, or the mind gets entangled in this person, or the, the story about this person, or the story about this condition in our life. And it's as if we create this long-running hallucination that we are the star of. And it's all done by thought. Frequently, but not always, this delusion and restlessness is accompanied by attachment in the form of craving, wanting, desire, yearning, or aversion, some form of striking out with anger, rage, hatred, or internalizing through the emotions of disappointment, frustration, despair, depression, angst. These are all forms of aversion being internalized, beating up on ourself. And sometimes by pushing away. The pushing away forms of aversion are feeling fear, feeling irritated, feeling uh, disdain, impatience, whining, whinging. Now I know none of you are have noticed any of those today. <laughs> if you have noticed them, that's good practice. Because the seeds of all of these forms of defilement are present in the mind. And if the conditions are right, they'll arise in one of their various forms. If we are practicing awareness and we recognize and are able to be mindfully aware of them, that is good practice. It's when we're caught in them, off on a long hallucinatory rant, that we're just fueling them, strengthening them, feeding them, Defilements thrive on being unconscious of them, unaware of them. Normally, though, defilements are so habitual and they have arisen so frequently or recurringly in our life that they have uh, kind of, we've become blind to them. We almost just take them for granted as that's how I am. And because of that, um, we, 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 it's as if we own them. We say, I'm not only impatient in this moment, I'm an impatient person. And we kind of eternalize it and solidify it and fixate on a quality that has arisen frequently 
It's not always present. But when we get identified with it, we stop looking at it as something like a visitor and start seeing it as an inherent part of ourself. And that's the danger. We take them for granted. We assume that they're part of us, how it is for me, will be forever, and we don't bother with them. We don't look at them. We just suffer them. Well, the Buddha said, no matter how often they have arisen, no matter how quick they are to arise, no matter how strong they are, no matter how much they torment you, they're just a visitor. But it's like a visitor who's moved in to stay. So we have to be, you know, have to, have, have to, kind, of, have to kind of recognize that but understand also that they're just a visitor. But we should understand, even though they're a visitor, they are the Dharma. They are part of the Dharma. They are, as Carol mentioned the other night, how things have come to be in the moment that they visit the mind. But they are a natural phenomena. They arise due to causes and conditions. It's not a mistake when you feel frustrated, disappointed, anxious, depressed. There are precise, exact causes and conditions that give rise to these visitors in the mind. And so because they are the Dharma, they are an expression of the way things are or the way things have come to be, they provide an opportunity for awareness and liberation. They are not an obstacle to your practice. They hinder, they bother, they obstruct, they really make a mess of it and they cause us to suffer, but they also offer an opportunity to develop awareness and insight and free the mind from them. Now we should understand that defilements are mental states. When they arise, they condition unpleasant feelings in the body and the mind. So when we feel anger or fearful or jealous or envious, it's pretty clear how painful and unpleasant that feeling is in the heart, in the mind. Yeah? I mean, we don't have to pretend otherwise. It's really not fun to be entangled in. Some of them, is, you know, in the forms of emotions or emotional storms. Um, sometimes there's very subtle moods. But they condition really agitation, pain, tension in the body. And they condition disagreeableness, a feeling of stress, a feeling of being burdened in the mind. Really unpleasant. But we should not assume that every unpleasant sensation in the body is conditioned by a defilement. When you feel hunger, the body feels unpleasant. And that's not a defilement of the mind, that's a condition of the body. Or when you're in the cold, you're out in the cold or you're out in the heat and you feel the body's uncomfortably hot or uncomfortably cold, 
That's not because of a defilement in the mind. That's because of physical conditions. So we don't want to kind of assume that if you're feeling some unpleasantness in the body, that it's because of a defilement. And some of us have old injuries. It's not because of a defilement in the mind that you're going to feel the residual pain of that or the pain of disease. It's not, that's not a defilement in the mind. Because it's unpleasant, it may condition aversion and judgment and fear. But in and of itself, that unpleasantness is not reflective of a defilement. Now, when I say that defilements are accompanied by ignorance or delusion, the defilements obscure the object. Now, the object is what is being experienced in the present moment. Hmm? So in our practice, every moment, there's an object that's arising and being known, and we may or may not be aware of it. But when a defilement is present, it obscures the object. Ignorance in the mind means that we don't know. We don't see the object. We don't even know there's an object. And we experience this when the mind is restless or lost in a train of thought. Now, you've had this experience today, I'm sure. You sit down with all good intention to observe the present moment as continuously as possible. And somewhere in your sitting, you come out of a daydream or a night dream or a long wandering thought that you didn't know you entered. You don't know what it was about when you were there. You don't know how you felt. You don't know you're in Woodacre. You don't know you're on retreat. You don't know you have a body. You don't know you're a person. You don't know you're practicing meditation. You don't know anything of what's happening. And yet when you come out of that daydream, sometimes you can see the whole story. You can see the whole thing in just a split second. The mind, some part of the mind, was registering everything that you were thinking. But you were completely ignorant of it. The you you that's present trying to meditate, unaware. Now, isn't that amazing? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're trying to pay attention. And still, we fall into these visitors' arms, swoon ourselves into some unconscious state, And sometimes it's for a long time, not just a split second. It can be a minute or two or ten and even longer. Imagine if you lived your whole life like that. No, really, people do. They just live their life in one long hallucination about themselves. Rarely coming out to recognize that it's just a train of thought. Now that is suffering. But you don't know it. You don't know it because you don't know that you're lost in thought. That's why the Buddha said the first noble truth, the truth of of pain, the truth of dukkha, the truth of this kind of suffering has really got to be investigated. You really have to look hard at your experience to understand, to come to understand that this is the way it is. We're suffering and we don't even know it. So ignorance 
keeps us from even knowing what's going on. Delusion doesn't obscure the object, but it obscures the nature of the object. So, what's that mean? Well, you see what is arising in the present moment. You know, you, you, you look at someone, you see them, you know you're seeing them, but when delusion and aversion is there, all you can see of them and all you know about them is their unpleasant characteristics. Because that, that's the nature of aversion. Aversion is a lens that causes the mind to see only the unpleasant nature of something. Later, you can see that same person, and if aversion isn't in the mind, but attachment and desire is, you look at the same person, and all you see is their pleasant aspect. Same person, but because of a different defilement visiting the mind, you don't understand the nature of that object. We're confused about the nature of the object. So it takes not only mindfulness to see the object, to observe the object, it takes insight to understand the object correctly. For us, practicing awareness, we should understand that mindful awareness is a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. The mind is just covered with clouds of delusion. Mindfulness is looking for the crack, the fault in that cloud, in order to see things and to see them clearly, to understand them clearly. When the Buddha recognized that defilements visit the mind and cause suffering, he laid out a spectrum of practices to deal with whatever degree of defilement has arisen. And the most, the grossest form of the defilement is when we don't know it's unskillful or unwholesome. We're acting it out with full vigor, joy, repetitively, with no second thoughts or remorse, and we're not even mindful of it. These are trans, you know, the transgressive acting out of defilements so that they cause harm to ourselves and others. This is when we hit or slander or say or do those things that hurt. Hurt others, maybe initially, and when we reflect on it, we recognize that we've hurt ourselves. The practice of the precepts that we're doing here is a form of restraint of not acting out. It's, an, it's a mindfulness practice of, of catching the grossest forms of the defilements before we speak or act in a way that's going to cause us or others harm. And so we should understand that the precepts are a mindfulness practice that arrest the grossest form of the defilements of harming. But even if we're not speaking 
or acting out the defilements, we may find that the mind is obsessed with wanting to say and wanting to do to act them out. Well, that's just about as painful, maybe even more painful than just acting them out. You know, sometimes when we just act them out, we just kind of dump the aversion, dump the fear, dump the jealousy on somebody else and walk away. And we think, there, get rid of that. <laughs> you know, not realizing it'll come back to haunt us many times over. But to just hold it in the mind, not even hold it in the mind, but to see it in the mind and exercise the restraint and feel what it feels like in the mind takes mindfulness. We have to see it. We have to recognize it. We have to know, oh, this is a defilement. It's really painful. It's unskillful to act it out. And so I'm just going to sit here with it. This is where a lot of practice takes place. Where we have just enough mindfulness to see the defilements. And just enough wisdom not to act them out, but not enough to know how to let them go. Because I'm sure, and any of you, when you're caught in the midst of a, an emotional storm of jealousy or fear or anger or rage or whatever it is, you'd like to be able to say, okay, mind, let that go. And you can say it, <laughs> but it doesn't happen. Because it's not mindful. The mindfulness itself does not have the power to abandon that state of mind. It's insight that does that. And so practice is the, the, the first part of practice. And the first part of practice may be first few days of a retreat or maybe the first decade of practice. It's up to you. But is developing the awareness to see the defilements. Not act them out. And to learn about them so that we can eventually learn how to let go of them. How not to be entangled with them. With mindfulness we can stabilize the mind to be present and aware of the defilements when they arise. But it takes a third practice, the third practice or the third training of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is insight, Vipassana, to understand these states of mind. To really understand how they arise what are the triggers for you for the arising of these states of mind? How is it that you get caught? What part of yourself, what, what narrative of yourself is most inflamed or entangled in the defilement? Because when we, when we see this over and over again and we see how much suffering it causes us, we learn eventually to let go, to not to not get tripped up by that particular trigger being pulled. Whoever it is doing whatever they do, we can see it. We have enough mindfulness to see it and we understand, I've been down this path a hundred thousand times, I don't need to go down it again because it ends in suffering every time. As seductive as it might look, as righteous as you might feel, anger, jealousy, fear, anxiety, depression is not a very effective response to the conditions of life. 
these three trainings, the purification of speech and behavior through restraint, the purification of the mind through mindfulness, and the purification of our understanding through insight, these three trainings are the three trainings of the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. This is what we're doing here. Cultivating awareness in every case to work with the defilements as they arise. So this is how we should understand the defilements. I know I spent a lot of time on um, laying out what the right view of the defilements are so that we can understand them correctly. Because if, if we don't understand them correctly, we'll be frustrated or disappointed or defeated or overwhelmed by them. And maybe the most encouraging right view about the defilements is that they're visitors to the mind and they provide an opportunity for liberation. They are not a judgment of how good you're doing in practice. They're not a condemnation of you as a person being unworthy. It's just an opportunity to be aware and to grow in understanding. So how do we really establish mindful awareness of them. Okay, so I've told you, I've mentioned several, a dozen or so of these defilements. It is said that there's over a thousand. But they're all some form of attachment, aversion, or delusion. So you can just say there's three with a lot of varieties, a lot of flavors. This knowledge is the first piece. Because some of the defilements we may not even recognize as being unskillful, unwholesome. You know, sometimes we get angry. We get, you know, we look at the suffering in the world or the conditions in the world and we feel, you know, fearful for the future or we feel anxious about the state of the environment or we feel angry at the way people are being treated. And we feel justified in being angry, being upset, being anxious. And while in our rational, logical thought process, that is, you know, there is, you know, we should be upset in colloquial speaking. We should be upset that, you know, injustice happens and the world's environment is under stress. But who suffers with that? Who suffers with that anger? Who suffers with that anxiety? Who suffers with that fear? We do. And so we don't really derive any benefit from that way of reacting. So the knowledge of what is, what are the defilements is one of the first ingredients. And then the hard part is beginning to recognize them in our own experience. Now, we all have the seeds of these defilements within the mind. And we all experience them at different times in our life. What's hard is to recognize that that's what's going on when it's happening. Because we're deluded. Or we're ignorant. You know, the mind is filled with delusion, filled with ignorance. And even though we know it intellectually... We're deluded, and so we don't see it that way when it happens. It is really hard to recognize the defilements, even when we know 
that they're causing us suffering. That's just the nature of delusion. That's the nature of ignorance. And so we need to hear and remember, oh, these are defilements. And then, as we practice, as we develop awareness, as we come to know more accurately, more intimately, more consistently the way things have come to be, we'll see, we'll recognize when we're suffering. And when you're suffering, you can be sure there's a defilement in the mind. Okay, so just just look. Whenever you're suffering, just know there's a defilement and just try to recognize it. Try to recognize what that defilement is because with recognition, we can begin to work with it. If we don't recognize it, we just don't pay attention to it. We just suffer it. Sometimes when we are feeling suffering and we know that there's a defilement present, we may not know the name of that defilement. But you can know, you can be sure that there's something going on. It may, maybe it's fear, maybe it's depression, maybe it's doubt, maybe, you know, we don't know, maybe we may not know exactly what it is, but just put a name on it. It's defilement number one today, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. And as you spend time with it, as you develop awareness of it, what it is, its characteristics, its unique flavor, it'll become more apparent. So recognizing is the first step in working with defilements. The second step is to relax. Just have the courage to acknowledge this is the way it is for me for now. End of story. Because if we get anxious and fretful and judge ourselves and I'm not doing well and this practice isn't working for me and I don't know if I'm doing it right and I'm a bad person because I'm really feeling this shame and well, we get so wound up and so reactive to the defilement that we can't work with it. We're, we're adding another layer of anxiety and fear and judgment on top of the initial defilement to begin with. And so we want to relax. We want to just say, okay, this is the way it is for now. This is the way it is. This is the way things have come to be and I'm aware of it. So we recognize what the defilement is and we relax. Because... As Saito Tejaniya said, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. Meaning, stuff happens, right? We don't know why it happens sometimes. We just get angry. We just get fearful. We just get depressed. We don't know why, but it happens. Okay, the mind's not yours. Some, you know, it's a visitor. Somebody's come to visit. You didn't invite them. You can't keep them out. They make themselves to home. Good luck. <laughs> so now you've got to deal with them. Okay, relax. Recognizing and relaxing are the first two ways of, um, first two steps in working with any of the defilements. Because if we just try to get rid of them, you know, serve them an eviction notice, you say, out. Already we're struggling. Not because we understand but just because we don't like them. We want to get rid of them. And to approach any of the defilements with that attitude of mind is only going to make more 
frustration, more aversion, more struggle, a sense of being defeated or ineffective, raising doubt in the mind. We don't need that. What we need is to proceed confidently and say, okay, I've recognized it, I can relax, I know what to do. And what we do with that recognition, that acknowledgement that this is the way it is for me for now, is to exercise some restraint. The, the, the compulsion to act out our defilements is so strong you know, we just want to get rid of, get, get away from that experience. And we all know how to act it out. We enter a stream of thought of blaming somebody for it. Or we write a note saying, blah, 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 meta. <laughs> or we just indignantly and self-righteously defend ourselves to ourselves. We, we, know, how to, we know how to deal with them unskillfully or dysfunctionally. But what we need to do is exercise some restraint from all of that, both acting out externally and acting out internally. Just getting in the blame game is just another manifestation or acting out of the defilement. Nobody caused these defilements in your mind. There's no one that causes you to be angry. No one who causes you to be fearful. Yes, they may be approximate cause in a person or in conditions or something the government does or doesn't do or whatever, but it's our own mind that's seeing things this way, that's making it so personal to you, to me, my anger, my fear, my, my judgment. So we want to exercise some restraint, not acting out. Sometimes we have to, you know, temper our anger or aversion with some loving kindness. Sometimes we have to temper our fear with, you know, kind of reciting the refuges and precepts as a way of protecting ourselves. Sometimes we do have to, uh, you know, practice some forgiveness for all the blaming that we're doing for, on somebody. Yeah, we can, we can do those. Those are ways of exercising some restraint, tempering the, the impact of the defilement. And then we want to look at how we're understanding this defilement. Because you've seen it, you've, re you've recognized it, you've relaxed, you're not, you're not in reaction to it, you've exercised some restraint, you're not acting it out. But then we need to look at how do we understand this. And often we think we've got to get rid of it before we can continue with our practice. That's a wrong view. That's a wrong understanding. We need to reframe our understanding, our wrong views about the defilements. So the fourth step in working with any of the defilements is to reframe your wrong understandings about them. It's not a judgment of you. It's an opportunity. Um, you're not being a bad yogi. Um, this is not who you really are. Uh, it's just a visitor to the mind. And you can be mindful of them. And you can uproot them from the mind. You can, you can keep them out of the mind temporarily with insight, and you can uproot them from the mind with uh, accessing the unconditioned. It's important to know this. It's important to remind yourself of this when you're dealing with the uh, defilements because you know, they're so unpleasant and they're so pernicious and they're so seemingly intractable that it's easy to feel overwhelmed. When you feel overwhelmed by one of the defilements, 
you have a wrong view. We have a wrong view. There's a, we're, we're subscribing to the view that, you know, they're permanent, they're who we really are, they're not workable, but they are. So we want to reframe our understanding. And because they offer, offer an opportunity and they're not just an obstacle to our practice, we want to be patient. These are deeply conditioned habits. We've been caught in these habits dozens, hundreds, thousands of times. We've gotten caught in impatience, anger, fear, jealousy, depression, anxiety. And so it has a well-worn groove in the mind. So we need to understand that. But we also want to be persistent. Not just patient and enduring, but persistent in our trying to be aware of them, trying to be aware so that we learn about them. And we can. The more time we spend with aware of the defilements, or any defilement, the more we're going to learn about it. Sayadaw Tejaniya says, try to recognize that defilements are simply defilements. They're not your defilement. Every time you identify yourself with one of them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. The wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that your mind should not be wandering, that's the problem. The object is not really important, but how you observe it or view it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Often yogis make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing to try to work with the defilements. Now I have a question for you. You know when you planned to come to the retreat, you saw, hey, there's a retreat being offered. What's it called? Awakening something? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, uh, said, that, that, that sounds like fun. I, I'd like to go do that. And did you plan to come and work with the defilements for eight days? We all come thinking, hey, I'm going to get mindful and get calm and open up and be pleasant. It's like, nice. You know, but really, we should come expecting, planning, incur- you know, kind of ready to work with the defilements. Because that's what's going on. <laughs> right? Let's get a reality check here. You know, did you see any defilements today? Did you see a lot of bliss, joy, happiness, peace, contentment? Okay, that's answered. As long as you're aware of the defilements, though, Sato says, you're doing well. As long as you're aware of the defilements when they arise, that's good. That's practice. That's what we're here for, being willing to do that. When we are willing to uh, recognize or able to recognize, relax, um, exercise some restraint, not acting them out, reframe our understanding so that we see, oh, this is how we can work with them, then our awareness can see them, can observe them, can be with them, because we've supported our awareness with the right view of the defilements and the right view of practice. That's why right view is so important as the beginning, right at, right at the front of a retreat or your practice, understanding how it is, what it, the, how to work with, or what it is that we're going to do, and why we're going to do it. When we practice awareness, when we're able to recognize the defilements, and we establish awareness of them, what is it that we're actually observing? Okay, 
So now there's this an emotional storm. An emotional storm arises and you're kind of entangled in some drama, some narrative where you're suffering. Now you take, just take a look at that. Now what, what is going on there? Well, there's a story. There's a narrative of, you know, I said this, I should have done that, they said this, da da da, blah blah blah, he, she, me, it, you know, I hurt. That's, that's the basic storyline. I'm suffering because blah 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 blah. Okay, that story just goes on and on and on and on. You might, you can spend a lot of time with it, you can, you can write additional chapters, you can finish the book how you'd like it to end, but it's still there, it's still it's a story. It's just a story. You have to see, this is just a story. Okay. Then there's all these sensations in the body, you know, the tightness, the feeling, the vulnerability, the feeling of vulnerability, and feeling light and hot and tight and tense and this. And, and there's all those sensations going on in the body, conditioned by this emotional storm, right? When you fall in love, that's an emotion. You fall in love, wow, you feel light and the body feels good and pleasant and light. It's great. Those sensations are conditioned by the mind. When you feel rage and hatred and anger, I know none of you feel that intense of aversion, but just in case you ever did, you know, the body is tight and hot and contracted and clenched painfully. Those sensations are conditioned by the mind. Okay, so there's all these sensations going on that are conditioned by the defiled state of mind. Track them. A lot, a lot of us will say, when you feel emotion, when you feel any of the defilements, track them in the body. Where do, where do you feel it in the body? You don't feel the emotion in the body, you feel its reflected state in the body as tightness, tension, pressure, pulsing, vibrating, twisting, aching, all that stuff. And you can you know, kind of track that. It's kind of less personal than your story. But if you take all the sensations and you put them over here, You've tracked them. You've kind of mapped them out throughout the whole body, three-dimensional map of the body of these sensations. Unpleasant. And you've got the storyline down. You know, the storyboard is all over here. You've kind of tracked it and you know the story. You've taken, you put, put those things on either side of you. What's left? The feeling of the mental state. The feeling of depression. The feeling of fear. The feeling of anxiety. The feeling of... And that's what we need to feel. That's what we need to get a handle on. How the defilement actually feels. You can't separate it from the story. The story is there too. The sensations are there too. But you gotta, we need to recognize this feeling because it is so unpleasant. We don't want to. We don't. We'd rather tell ourselves the story and finish it the way we want to finish it. But that doesn't get in touch with the way things really are, the way things have come to be, which is this feeling in the heart. That's what awareness needs to attend to, is how does it feel. Now, I'm going to say something that is kind of a generic, it's not, it's not meant to be dismissal, but all of it is just a feeling. It's, it's just a feeling. I don't mean just an emotion. It's just a feeling in the heart. When we learn how to feel it, when we have the courage to just feel what that feels like, and just be with it, not trying to get away from it, not trying to explain it, not trying to figure it out, not trying to blame anybody for it, just open. That's what it feels like. What do we notice? 
one of the things we notice is it's really unpleasant. It really has the dukkha characteristic in spade. It is so unpleasant. It is unsatisfying. It's totally not okay. That is the dukkha characteristic that we see. We realize that. The second thing that we see is you can't make it go away. You can't change it. It's not yours. You can't fix it. You can't, you can't make it change. You can't, you can't do anything with it except endure it. That's the anatta characteristic. You didn't invite it. You can't make it change. You can't make it go away. It's not yours. And yet, it's still being experienced. That's the anatta characteristic. And if you have the courage to stay with it, stay in touch with it, feel it, you will realize it doesn't last very long anyway. That's its impermanent characteristic. Through the steadiness, through the continuity of the mindful awareness, you will realize insightfully the three characteristics. It's impermanent, it's unsatisfactory, and it's not you. Those insights are liberating. They free you from entanglement in that defilement. Now, I could ask you, did you, did you feel some emotional storm somewhere today? Of course, something. Okay, where is it now? It's gone. We could say, well, I, 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 it's impermanent because it's not here now. But that's not the kind of insight in, of impermanence. That's, kind of that's not the knowledge of impermanence that's going to free you from it the next time it arises. It's the ability to touch with your mind, with your heart, the feeling of the defilement and stay with it until it, of its own nature, ends. It too is just another arising phenomena due to causes and conditions. Those causes and conditions don't last forever. And so if you're there with it, you're there with it, you're there with it, the causes and conditions are going to start to dissolve and fall apart and you will see the end of that state, that mental state. You'll realize this is what happens to all of them. That knowledge of the impermanent nature of all suffering states of mind is invaluable. You can't buy it. You can't you can read it in a book, but that's not it. It's the knowledge that you gain from your own direct observation. It's invaluable. It is the key to liberation. That's why the defilements are such a potent opportunity in our practice. They are unpleasant. You can't overlook them. They really, they really torture us. That's great. You're not going to kind of hide from them. They're there. If you're willing, they provide the surest entry into the understanding that liberates the mind. Use the appearance of the defilements as an opportunity to investigate their nature. So when we're, when we're caught in fear, we're caught in anger or jealousy, understand that what you're feeling is the nature of fear. What you're experiencing in the storyboard, the storyline, that's the nature of the story. That's, what, that's the kind of story that fear generates or conditions. When you feel this feeling in the heart, that's the nature of this depression 
or the nature of this anxiety. It's not personal. It's not, it's not, it's not yours. It's not, you're not the only one that ever experienced that. We all experience that. We all experience it, I'm going to say, generally, in the same way. We've got our own story, but the story takes the same form. You know, you watch movies. You know, you go to, you go to the movies, you watch the movies. How is it that some of them are so uncannily accurate, just like your story? That's because our minds are not that different. They're not that different. You know, the way they function, the way they operate, the way they manifest these defilements, pretty, pretty narrow range of options. And so we can see them as, as impersonal as they really are. They arise due to causes and conditions that we can't control. The story is just peculiar to situations that we're familiar with. And they leave of their own accord. Practice asks us to have the courage to feel the unpleasantness with full awareness in order to gain the liberating insight and knowledge. It takes courage. It takes courage. It takes the willingness to feel unpleasantness with full awareness. We're going to, we are going to experience unpleasantness anyway. There isn't any of us that got through today without unpleasant feelings in the body and in the heart, in the mind. So why not just say, well, this is the way it is. I might as well take a look. That's, that's what's required. Being willing. I mean, we've tried, we, we have run so long, so far, so fast to try to escape pain, unpleasantness. And it finds us at every corner. The only other option is to turn around and look at it. And that's what being willing to work with the defilements offers an opportunity to free the mind from entanglement in them by seeing, oh, this, this is their nature. This is their very nature. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not my fault. But I do have to work with it. Do not try to avoid objects or experiences. Instead, try to avoid getting entangled in the defilements. As long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. But in order to understand the defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. Once you're able to handle the defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. Most yogis make the mistake of expecting good experiences instead of trying to work with the defilements. Sadotajaniya says. Remember, he says, that it's not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. And when you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's sit for a moment and let the words settle down.
Remember that it's not you who removes the defilements, but wisdom does the job. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. And again, there'll be a a late night sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.